Welcome to Backyard Oasis, a podcast designed by and for older adults living in the beautiful Pioneer Valley of Western Massachusetts and produced in the tech studios at Greenfield Community College in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Backyard Oasis reaches out to older adults who seek knowledge to help them live more thoughtfully, healthily, and happily who hope to inspire others with their ideas and who serve their communities in the interest of the greater good. We hope you join us frequently in our pleasant backyard oasis for wide-ranging conversations with a diversity of people who are growing older and want to talk about it. Hi, this is Dennis Lee. I'm calling this episode... Nothing like a fire truck, a guitar, and so much more. In our Backyard Oasis series, we talk to people that have had interesting experiences and keep on churning after retirement. This is certainly true for my guest today. He's Tom Clark, a 30-year veteran firefighter of the Northampton Fire Department. Now, I've always thought kids used to be maybe just guys now they're women in the fire department, but little kids used to love fire trucks. There was something about the, the bright lights and the sirens. It seemed like every kid was excited about seeing a fire truck. As a matter of fact, I can remember as a kid going to a, a day camp, and they brought us to the fire station. This was in Connecticut, and I slid down the pole. Wow. If I tried it today... I'd be in big trouble. Tom, thanks for joining us. It's a real pleasure to have you here today. I guess we should start, as the song says, let's start at the very beginning. How, how did you become a firefighter? Well, um, I took the test for civil service. Uh, I had been kicking around for a while. I had gone to UMass, sort of got kicked out for not going to class, joined a rock and roll band that wasn't really going anywhere, did some construction work. And I was looking for a job because, uh, you know, I was in a relationship and it seemed like it was going to go places. And we, she wanted, you know, was interested in getting married. And so I said, well, I got to get a job. Well, eventually I got a job with the telephone company when it was breaking up, when it was Ma Bell breaking up. And I had taken a test for fire department because I always wanted to be a firefighter. So that's, that's what I want to get to. Did you, did you always have that little germ of an idea? Yeah. Um, there's pictures of me as a kid, and I had this little pedal fire truck, <laughs> and I would pedal up and down the sidewalk. And so and I would take you know, the, the helmet and stuff and take it to bed with me. And so they got pictures of me like in bed uh, with my little fire helmet yeah. and stuff. So What do you think that is, by the way? I was trying to figure this out. What do you think it is? Is it the big truck, the power of the engines, I'm, I'm, I don't know what it is, but I know that that feeling exists about when you see fire people. Well, I think everyone has a romantic idea of what firefighting is. I mean, it's a lot of dirty, dangerous, hard work in a lot of ways. And it's a lot of sort of paramilitary or quasi-military uh, protocol and stuff you have to follow. But it's a romantic idea of the right. job that... You might have you might get to save someone's life or do something heroic or and these things happen on a fairly regular basis in the fire department, but there's also a lot of routine and stuff like that. But I think people identify with the idea of a firefighter who would who would put himself in danger to save someone else. So romantic. when you got into the thing, 
and now you found out maybe it was different than you thought, but you're now into the fire department. What did you like? What did you really like about the job? Uh, well, it was a, it was a steady job, and I got paid every week, so that was good. That's a good thing, yeah. And it did. You felt like you were doing something good in the world, and I, that was important to me. When I had worked for the, you know, build, being constr- in construction or things like that, yes, you're doing something good. But when you're a firefighter, you're really trying to help people in the most dire, difficult circumstances. You're, you're you know, you might have to do CPR on someone or all the different things that we do, a rescue, um, just helping people with a problem, with something wrong with their furnace or things like that. And you're there for them every minute of every day. Now, how old were you when you actually went on to the fire department? I was 25. 25. Yeah. And did your ideas about the fire department change over the years? I mean, a lot must have changed from the time you were 25 to when you retired, which, which was when? I retired about eight years ago. Right. And... The things that changed, when we first started, it was kind of like we were like cowboys. (laughs) I actually rode on the back of the fire truck and held on. And I actually sat in the tiller seat on the ladder, which is the the back part of the ladder. And I actually got to one of, I was one of the last people to actually drive that tiller part of the ladder in the Northampton department. So many things changed. I thought it was, we thought we were the coolest guys in the world. The coat would be flapping in the breeze. We'd be holding on to the back of the truck. We'd be blowing down Main Street on these old fire trucks. I mean, when I started, we had fire trucks from the, actually from the 1950s and the 1960s, still on the front line. And it was just amazing. I started in 1985, and it was just amazing. So uh, I had a great career. I'm grateful for it. It beats you up. You know, I was injured. I was in a lot of dangerous situations. I had things happen to me. But... I was always grateful for that opportunity to, to serve people and to be that, that guy, be the guy. So we're going to do a quickie quiz. Tell us something about the fire department that we never would have guessed, something that most people say, really? Is that what it's like? Uh, sometimes it's boring. Sometimes All right, that's fair boring. enough. That's, yeah. a, that's a good question for me and a good answer from you. Sometimes it's boring. Right. And sometimes um, people... People don't know what we do every day. A lot of people are have some idea that we're just sitting around uh, eating food and playing cards and taking naps. And I mean, there is some of that. But, I was going to say, is, yeah. any, is any of that true? Give us the behind the scenes, Tom. Well, you're on a 24-hour schedule, so it's not like you can just stay up the whole time. You do have to rest, and you try to get rest in between the calls and. It's challenging, uh, and there is a lot of routine. There's a lot of protocol. There's a lot of chores. We have to clean our own station. We have to maintain our own equipment. We have to do a lot of training every day. There's training that we have to practice different things. So there's a lot of like military-style routine in the fire department. Mm-hmm. You're expected to keep yourself in shape and, and to keep that sort of attitude that this is a, an important job, and you should always be ready to do whatever you have to do. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that's the fascinating thing about the fire department and the police department as well, because you could have a very calm day with nothing going on, 
maybe playing cards sometimes. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. And then all of a sudden, it just hits and something happens, and your whole mentality has to change in an instant. To me, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the emergency room at the hospital. You yeah. know, they could be sitting around telling stories telling medical jokes or something, and then all of a sudden yeah. three ambulances come in and your whole way of thinking changes in an instant. What is that like? You go from zero to 100 miles an hour in, in, a, in just a seconds, and it's, or from sort of a sound sleep to just getting on a truck and rolling out to a fire. It's just it's an incredible adrenaline rush, and it's very challenging to, to, to be able to pull it off. Right. A lot of most people can't handle it, even... Like when I started, it was easier when I started. Um, the pace was a little different. We might go to have, you know, we didn't have the ambulance service. We might go to maybe eight or 900 calls a year. And of course we'd had inspections and things like that. But when I left the fire department, when I retired, they were doing 6,000 calls in Northampton. We were doing about 6,000 calls a year. And most of that were the medical calls. Right. And now they're doing 8,000 calls a year. So the pace of the job has increased exponentially. The sort of demand on you has increased. Now, has being on the ambulance in Northampton, and that's the case in some cities and towns, mm -hmm. is that a whole other thing? I mean, being responding to that and doing the medical part, is that a whole different way of approaching it, or is it all one big ball? Yeah, it's... It, it brings income into the fire department, and this, you know, this is the cities like that, and it, it provides a service that sometimes the private ambulances can't keep up with. You see the private ambulances, they come, they go, they go bankrupt, another one comes in, they have to get contracted with the city. The fire department is there. We're there already. So it's, it's a new challenge that they've taken on. It makes things a lot different. It brings a lot of women into the fire department because a lot of them come from that ambulance service, from the paramedic thing. You must be reading my mind because yeah. the thought I had was, well, you got to tell me about what happened. Well, it was an all-male bastion. Oh. Right? If that's the right phrase. Yeah. It was all an all-male deal. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, somebody said, oh, there should be women in the fire department. Yeah. So how did that change your life, what you thought about your daily job. What happened? Tell us what happened when you got the word there's going to be a lady on the line. Well, the first lady was uh, Tracy Driscoll in the Northampton Fire Department. And she was the daughter of the chief at the time. And she was as tough as any guy could ever be. And she was just, you know, just ready to do the job. And she grew up with it. So she was, ex she was also the first girl to play Little League in Northampton. Mm -hmm. So she was a trailblazer. And, and but she could handle the job. When it started to be more, at the time, a lot of the older guys didn't like the idea. They they didn't think it they would they they didn't think it was a good idea. And in some ways, they their culture their that older fella culture the old the men's culture of the place 
prohibited that idea. And their wives weren't happy about it either <laughs> because you're living together at the fire department. Right, right. So the, the older guys that I worked with weren't happy about it. Now, I want to hear gossip. My engineer and, and, and myself want to hear gossip from the fire department. And <laughs> no good gossip with, with all the, the men's and, men and the women? Well, I'll tell you, when you, when you put men and women working together under these conditions, in any job, really, when you're working closely together, relationships form. And there have been many relationships and marriages between the women of the fire department and the, peop- and the men of the fire department as far as, like, several of the firefighters uh, actually married dispatchers that worked in the dispatch center. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, so they are working together. Well, they say you need communication in marriage. Yes. So if you marry a dispatcher... Yeah, you're working on your communication, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, so this can, this I, yeah, can yeah, that, happen. That's, a, that's interesting. It's, though. A, it's yeah, a thing yeah. that that makes it can cause complications, of course. Right, right. So um, I don't want to get into the complications, but <laughs> it does seem that I know s- several things, and most of the relationships have worked out. Some of them have gotten married and and had. It's in some ways, it's great. So yeah. You find that in any workplace, you f- and it's just when the when it becomes a drama, then it becomes yeah. more difficult. It's kind of like the good, the bad, and the ugly, that's right? right? A little bit of everything, right? It's a part of life. Yeah, it's well, a part of that, life. That, that's interesting. I want to get back to if I can a little bit about the the stress because I can't imagine what it's got to be like to to be under that stress, particularly when you don't know when it's going to come. I mean, if you knew exactly today I got to go in and it's going to be crazy, that's one thing. But that's not what you're dealing with. You're dealing with instant happenings. Yes. So I want to bring it to music because one of the reasons I I had you on is I I know music has been a big part of your life and poetry has been a big part of your life. I think you told me in third grade you discovered poetry. Did I? Yeah, in sixth grade. Sixth grade, okay. Uh, The great uh, English teacher from Florence Grammar School, Gene Curran, uh, turned me on to poetry. I, I couldn't uh, couldn't satisfy. We were studying English and I wasn't doing well. And uh, and my father was like, "Get back in there and try harder." And so she eventually did a poetry thing, and I did well with that. And she inspired me. In and fact, that, that I dedicated started, my that was the flame. I mean, that was the start of that the was whole the start thing? of the poetry thing. Yeah, right, right there. Okay. Do you remember your very first poem? I do not. All right. I remember some early ones. I have some early ones that I've saved from basically from high school, but I don't have the one from the sixth grade that started it. Wow. I was going to say, I know nothing about poetry. I don't know if I should say this. I know a few limericks, but that's a whole other deal. (laughs) That's something else again. Listen, um, I want to talk a little bit uh, about that stress and how the music has maybe helped you yeah. with the stress. Like when you're dealing with what you're dealing with, and we should say you were talking about the Northampton Fire Department. Yeah. I happen to know Tom, so I dragged him up here at the Greenfield yeah. Community College. But I'm sure a lot of the things that he has said about the Northampton Fire Department are probably pretty much the same in, in any fire department, right? And the bigger the fire department, the more stressful. I mean, if you're in Holyoke where they have lots mm-hmm. of fires or New York, yeah. that's a whole other deal unto itself. But it's kind of a, a part of it. Um, you, you've experienced some of that yeah. anyway in different degrees. Yeah, the, the stress is really hard. Um, as a couple of fellows I know that actually have, uh, have uh, turned to suicide for that 
for the, the stress level of wow. a couple of my firefighter friends, my great good friends that have that have t- taken their own lives uh, because the stress of the job is something, and you see it. You know, you see it with soldiers returning from right. places like yeah. Afghanistan and yeah. stuff. I was going to so ask about, difficult. is that PTSD? I mean, is there you would call an it element that. of that? Yeah, yep. you would call it PTSD. And, and you know, we've all, I struggled with it myself at times uh, where I was had, you know, episodes of uh, sort of anxiety or depression and, and couldn't sleep. Insomnia was a big problem. Right. Because it screws up your clock, this going out all night and stuff sometimes. Right. But um, eventually, I found a way to work through it, and uh, music certainly helped with that. How did you do? How did you work through it? Because I bet you there's somebody listening now that may not be a firefighter, but may be having a hard time. And I got to be honest with you, I've had a hard time sleeping lately. Mm. I was just telling somebody the other day, my sleep has been off. I don't know what happened, you know, and I I, I can't trace it to anything. But I wake up two o'clock in the morning and I can't get back to sleep. Now, I don't know where that comes from. And you're working in a situation where. You're on the clock, off the clock, on the truck, off the truck. So I mean, you're 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 in a magnification of that whole thing. How did yep. you how did you deal with that? Well, I think that my wife helped me work through it. I just tried to get up every day and do my job and not think about it, but it was really difficult. Um, I avoided their pills. You know, the I went for some different counseling and stuff. Right. And the first thing they try to do give you these these uh, you know. Here, take these pills. Yeah. And I'm like, eh, I don't really want that. Yeah. I actually talked to, uh, I actually went for different things. You know, hypn- I tried hypnosis. I tried um, acupuncture. The thing I think that helped a lot is I tried getting a daily exercise. I think that helped. Wow. I tried doing that. I tried to change my, change my lifestyle a little bit and tried to do some daily exercise. I think that helped. Now, even now, I see Tom in Florence because we're, we're kind of neighbors. I always see him walking with his lovely wife. And for a long time, he was walking with his dog. So I'd see you out walking. Yep. So th- that's a good thing. You know, I was going to mention, well, we started talking about the stress, but is it different in Northampton or Greenfield or a smaller town because you know a lot of the people you come in contact with? I mean, is it different if, if somebody's a stranger and they're in agony? Is that different than seeing Mrs. Jones, who you know because you saw her in the supermarket yesterday? Um, that's a good question. And I, I think that, you know, if it was really, really personal, it could be a problem. And um, I'm, I certainly helped people and worked on people and did CPR on people that I knew, okay? And usually the result is not a positive one right. for that. I mean, right. on TV, everyone survives the CPR and everyone's fine, right? Yeah, yeah. They save everybody. That is not the case in real life. And I've certainly worked on people that I've known. But you just, you just embrace the moment and do the job as best as you can. And then you kind of, it more affects you afterwards. That's what I was going to say. What happens when more you go home? You afterwards, what happens right. when you go home? It more affects you afterwards than you think about it. Um, but it could be anybody. It could be somebody that you don't know, and that might affect you as well. That could affect you as well. Because it seems like everybody in a small town knows everybody, knows yep. their problems, mm-hmm. and the good guys and the bad yeah, guys, yeah. And, and everybody in between. I just find that very fascinating how you're able to uh, help people like you and other people have done. So let's talk music and, yeah. and poetry. Sure. Let's. Okay, so we know that... 
you're the fireman. You always wanted to be a rock star, but that yeah, didn't, work, that didn't out. work out. <laughs> that didn't work out. So then, did you keep up with the guitar all this time, or was it on and off? What was your situation? I didn't really start playing the guitar until I was in my 40s um, to st- actually try to really learn how to play. Um, I worked with another fella who did like the guitar and the music part, and I did the words and the singing part. Um, and maybe I'd play the drum a little bit or do different things, but that's, that's how I started. And the reason I got more into the guitar was because um, we kind of had a parting of the ways at some point. We had played music together for probably almost, well, probably 30 years. And he was, we, were, we were the ones that were starting the rock band, and we thought we were going places. So we had done this sort of original music for a long time together, and we'd form a band, and we'd do a couple of shows, and then it would break up, and then he would, we'd form another band, and the same thing happened. Finally, he got sick of sort of the, the flakiness of it and just decided I would just write my own songs, I'd play my own guitar, and do my own thing. So mm-hmm. that's, that's how that became. So thing. then what have you done since then? Now that you're retired, you obviously have more time. Mm-hmm. So how does music happen in your life? Well, I play every week almost. I play at this little place in Florence where we have an, like a, it's like an open mic. And I play with those guys and we all, we all, sometimes we all jump up and play together. Other times I just go play, you know, play a song myself, play several songs myself and it's like a little family. And right now we're meeting at the JJ's uh, behind the diner there. In Florence, yep. Right. Yeah, I was there yesterday for lunch. And so, and often we used to, we used to meet over at the, uh, there used to be a little pub, a little brewery behind, well, they're still there, but um, there was the brewery behind Goodgen's gas station there. And we'd meet once a week there. In Main Street in Florence. Right, yep, right. yep, yep. So, but it's moved over to the JJ's, and we've been there for the last few years. But it's every Wednesday night. I play there. Often I get gigs at Luthier's Co-op over in East Hampton, or I've had a couple shows. I just got back from a show in Louisville, Kentucky, where I played at the the Gonzo Fest. Now, explain that to me, because when we were talking about a week or so ago, you told me you went out for this Gonzo's, mm-hmm. but I'd never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And then you, who was the gentleman? I didn't know his name at first, but I did research after we talked. Yeah. Tell me about that experience. First of all, how did you end up going there? Because not everybody, it's not around here. Right. It's one thing when you're talking about Florence or Springfield or Greenfield, but how did you end up at the Gonzo Festival? <laughs> well, I have this friend, uh, Ron Whitehead, who's the National Beat Poet Laureate. I'm the Massachusetts beat poet. I didn't, I didn't see. I didn't even know that, so, Tom. I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Right. I feel bad now that I didn't know that. So, how wait a minute? How do you define? How do you define? I should say, a beat poet. Well, I don't know if you can define it exactly. I mean, some of the famous ones were like Jack Kerouac is, of course, very famous. Lawrence Ferlinghetti, um, uh, Diane De, De Prima. Uh, there's many that are well known. Right. Um, Allen Ginsberg. Uh, there's many that are pretty well famous. So, um, how did you become the Massachusetts beat poet? Um, so, from reading poetry over the years, uh, I fell in with this group of people, and I've got, they have their headquarters in Connecticut, the National Beat, so the International Beat Poetry Foundation, and uh, I've been at several of their readings, and I've performed at several of them, and. 
eventually they asked me, um, to, you know, they would ask me to come and perform. And so, um, and eventually they honored me with the uh, Beat Poet Laureate thing. They liked what I was doing, yeah. in other words. I'm impressed. I yeah, didn't even cool. know. I, I cool. didn't even know. I really didn't know yeah. that. I, I probably should have known that. No. How could I not know that? I yeah. feel like I failed in life <laughs> by not knowing that, Tom. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I, I'm glad for you. So you, tell us about going to that Gonzo Festival. G- give me the background on that. So it's uh, the, the festival is to honor Hunter S. Thompson, who was a very famous uh, journalist who sort of, quote, invented gonzo journalism, which is journalism where the, the person sort of puts themselves into the story. And he wrote many famous books. One of his first ones was about the Hell's Angels, where he, for a time, he joined the Hell's Angels. And he wrote a book from the inside perspective of being part of that group. Mm-hmm. Until they beat him up, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then that was the end of that. But, but he, and so that was the, the beginning of his career. So let's, since you went to the Gonzo Festival, you had to do a, a performance. Yes. Was it one song? No, 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 no. I did a whole set. No, I know you did one, and this is interesting because I'm a mammoth uh, Louis Armstrong yeah. fan. My whole family yeah. was to me that I'm always happy when there's Louis somewhere. Yeah. But I forgot about the song you said you sang. Right. And and I didn't know it by the title. And then I went right after we spoke. Yeah. I went online and I found. I yeah. said, Oh, I know that. You know of course that song. I know that. Of course that. you know it. Yeah. I said, How could I not know that? Yeah. So give us. Can you give us a little of that? You want sure. to do a little I, bit? I'd of, be happy to play that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. this is what you did. When this you is were one of the ones I did. And how many? How long was the set that you did? I did about forty-five minutes. Wow. Yeah. See, I can't play anything. I took accordion up as a kid and quit every time I got tough. I quit. So I admire anybody yep. that can pick up and, and play music and entertain people. I think it's right. terrific. So, so th- is there a title to this? Yeah, it's Kiss of Fire. Okay. I touch your lips and all at once the sparks go flying. The devil lips that know so well the art of lying. And I see the danger, still the flames grow higher. I know I must surrender to your kiss of fire. You're like a torch that sets the soul within me burning. I must go on, I'm on the road, no returning. And it burns me and it turns me into ashes. My whole world crashes without your kiss of fire. I can't resist you. What good is there in trying? What good is there denying? You're all that I desire. Since I first kissed you, my heart was yours completely. If I'm a slave, then it's a slave I want to be. Don't pity me. Don't pity me. Give me your lips, the lips you only let me borrow love me tonight let the devil take tomorrow i must have your kiss although it dooms me though it consumes me your kiss of fire all right very good tom and that was do you know was that written by anybody we would know uh, composer, or is that just out there in the universe? Well, it's it's based on an old Argentinian tango, of all things. Oh. 
And the original lyric was in Spanish. And um, that was translated very loosely by I'm not sure who, but Louis Armstrong took that song. And I th actually think I, I tried it with the uh, Spanish lyrics before, but um, I actually think the English lyrics are quite superior in that case. Well, let's great. do some poetry, by the way. Right, can, sure. can we do that? Can sure, we, sure. Pick something of your choice. Uh, you don't remember the first time you wrote something, but you must. Do you have a favorite? Um, I don't know. I'm just going to read a few things. I got a, I got a little book here um, that uh, is my first full-length book. I've published several chapbooks of poetry, but this is my first full-length book of poetry called 50 Words for Rain. And uh, when they named me as Beat Poet Laureate of Massachusetts, I had to quickly sort of come up with a book. So I did a little, looked at my computer. I'm saying, you know, I have a lot of poems that have rain in them. So this became my first book. Right. So it's great. Right. Well, pick, pick me a couple of, uh, if you can, a couple of short ones if sure. you can, because we're running up a little bit against the clock. Right. And I love talking about this. I think it's right. so neat. All right. Take this dust you cannot see. Take this dust you cannot see, these fingers you cannot touch, this light you cannot hold, this love that means so much. This air you cannot breathe, these thoughts you cannot control, these feelings you don't understand, this heart that grows so cold. This music you cannot write, these words you cannot hear, this war you cannot fight, this night you cannot bear. Take it all and remember this. It all began with one sweet kiss. The dust of love is night music to your fingers. Hold it gently if you can. It leaves a sheen of magic that lingers long after the touch of her hand has grown cold, cold, cold. Hear these words and listen. Breathe this air if you dare. Fight this war of attrition and understand this feeling that carries the light to you and to all living things. Remember how it all began with love. Hmm. Okay, Tom, do you have one more? Do you have a, a, I do. a surety we can sneak in there? I do. Um, I have two poems. Uh, maybe you'll like this one because this has something to do with listening to the radio, the transistor radio under your pillow. Oh, a, yes, we all did that, right? And yeah. this is something we all did as kids. It's called Radio Waves. Just a boy who believes such miracles that vibrate crystals into windings of copper wire are sailing through the night, awake yet dreaming. Transistor radio under my pillow long-distance voices aloft to my ears. It is the music of baseball, the ebb and flow of the crowd, the crack of the bat, innings pass, seven, eight, nine, listening to my song, my lullaby of distant static and language unknown to those who don't know. Wow. See, I can relate to that, and yeah. anybody listening who had a transistor radio can. Yeah. And I'm with a radio background, and I don't know where the spark got to me or not from that, but I remember listening 
to a lot of games that was part of my life. Go to bed, put the trans- transistor radio on. So mm-hmm. it's really kind of amazing. I'm wondering, your lovely wife, uh, does she critique your, your poetry or does she just let do you do your thing or do you ask for her opinion? Occasionally I ask for her opinion. <laughs> do you really, she keeps really, me down to earth. How's do you, that? Do you really want her answer? I do. I do. Okay, okay. The trouble with her, my she often... Inter- she often reads it from a personal thing, like, like it's about us or something, and that's not usually true. But so, well, you know, sometimes I, I do write. If I th- write something I think that she'd like, I, like a song or something, I'll play it for her. Okay, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, I want to wrap up, but I want to uh, ask you because we've used uh, Backyard Oasis this series to try to have people hear somebody like yourself. And then think, well, let's see, what, what might I do in retirement? And how can I get myself to do something that maybe it's in the back of my cerebrum, but I've never done it? What would you say to somebody if they, if they had a, a, maybe not a burning desire, but a smoldering desire to do something? How, how would you encourage them to do that? I think they have to look inside themselves and just say, go for it. Do it. What's stopping you? The clock is ticking. You only have so much time in life, and you better just live it because that's all there really is in this world. Tom, that's what I would say. I, I, that, that's great. That's that's perfect. Yeah. We should put that on, on the on the wall somewhere. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That that's true. You got to live it. You got to live it. Listen, Tom Clark. You said to me on the phone a couple of days ago that uh, you thought you had an interesting life. Yeah. I think you were right about that. Yeah. I thank you for being here, and I'm glad I know you. Me too. I'm glad I know you, Dennis. It's been a great pleasure. Take care. Her eyes are not the color of a robin's egg sky. Her lips are not made from red roses. She's 100% natural. No GMOs. A woman right down to her soul She'll walk through town like Marilyn Monroe She can't sing like a songbird She ain't no fashion model movie star But her beauty is deep as tomorrow because her arms are all right and she holds me tight and kisses me in the moonlight yeah her arms are all right gonna see her tonight and we'll dance together Until the sunrise She don't drive no Fancy automobile She has to work For her money never mean but she's made of steel 
whiskey and spice and honey. She makes a tasty chicken pot pie. She's the mother of my children. I'm gonna love her until the day that I die. I ain't never gonna hurt her Cause her arms are alright When she holds me tight Kisses me in the moonlight Yeah, her arms are alright Gonna see her tonight And we'll dance together until the sunrise this concludes today's podcast we're always looking for new ideas so feel free to reach out to judy raper associate dean of community engagement at greenfield community college at 413-775-1819 if you have an idea you'd love to share special thanks to the creators of backyard oasis denise schwartz chad fuller dennis lee and christine copeland have a great day